Tony, Tony's a bodybuilder dude. He's got like, I don't know, last time I checked, I don't understand any of the language, but he's got like, I don't know, on his YouTube channel over 100,000 probably followers. He's got, you know, so this young man, yeah, he's very well known in Romania. And um, yeah, I mean, I have over 100,000 followers, but you know. <laughs> people are looking like, it. no, no, not quite. Minus 999,999. Um, I have DT. And I don't even, so the one follower I have, I don't even like. Um, so. Yeah, yeah, that's true. He said he's following me to keep an eye on me. That's, that, 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 there's a lot, of, there's a lot of truth in that. But, uh, uh, but that Tony is being used to the Lord, and now he's getting put a little into the fire a little bit, uh, you know, because, you know, like we talked Sunday morning, you know, you, you make one little statement about the faith, about the Lord, and boy, the, the people who say they don't even believe He exists, they sure get mad about somebody they don't even think exists. Kind of funny, isn't it? Uh, um, but uh, uh, by the way, praise the Lord, Sunday, you know, typically for a pastor, um, I know Pastor Dale's here, you know, Fourth of July weekend is like the death knell of the, you know, typically the worst Sunday of any particular calendar year, um, typically, you know, but we were not full, but it was, it was by far, it was the largest attendance we've ever had on a July 4th weekend. I would say Jen, Karen probably would, you know, we, it, it was just a blessing to see as, as many folks here. And it was a great service to particularly love the singing uh, that day. At any rate, all right, we're going to be in John chapter 4 this evening. Thank you for being here. For those of you watching online, we're glad to have you for listening on our, uh, any of our platforms. Uh, encourage uh, our, our favorite channels on Rumble. And if you're watching on Rumble, um, please, you know, as they would say, smash the, they, they don't call it the like button on, Rum, on Rumble, it's the Rumble button, you know, but that, that'll help us in the algorithms get out there more, right? Emery, isn't that how that works? Okay. Um, so, you know, uh, we appreciate all you folks listening online. Well, we are in the life of the Messiah. Basically, we're looking at the life of the Lord Jesus Christ from uh, before he showed up, his birth, and his whole ministry using all four gospel accounts from a Jewish perspective. And uh, we are all the way uh, and using aerialministries.org if you want to go to their website, Dr. Frutenbaum and um, uh, my favorite Jewish teacher. And... Uh, Tonight, we're going to pick up where we left off last week, where last week we were talking about Jesus and his authority to preach as he began his preaching ministry, and the Bible says he preached the gospel, and we saw last week that a lot of folks get confused about that, but gospel simply means good news, and in the context of the ministry of the Lord Jesus at this point where he's at, what he's trying to achieve, uh, he is not preaching the gospel that people would identify today in terms of its content, but he was preaching the good news that the Messiah was there and here and that he was offering to the Jewish people of that generation the Messianic kingdom. That was the good news. And uh, a lot of folks lose, lose sight of that. But uh, tonight we're going to look at uh, not only uh, last week Messiah's authority to preach, tonight we're going to look at Messiah's authority to heal. And so we're going to continue back in John's gospel. Last week we were in the synoptic gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But tonight we're back in John chapter 4. We pick things up in the storyline in verse number 46, all right? So John chapter 4, verse 46, the Bible says, So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee where he made water a wine, and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. So we're told that Jesus, again, is now back in the area of Cana of Galilee, 
and we're reminded that this is where Jesus did the miracle, the turning the water into wine, one of his first signs, his first miracle. And then we're introduced to a certain nobleman. Now, I love how the scripture says this, that he's just not any ordinary nobleman, but he's a certain nobleman. Um, aren't, aren't you glad that God knows each and every one of us? That, that, you know, that you, when it comes to your relation with God, are not just some person. You're a certain person. And I, I know that it's hard because in our world today, the human experience is a lot of times that, you know, does anybody care? <laughs> you ever felt that way? I don't even think my mama cares. Um, does anybody care? Does anybody know my name? You know, it's hard. This life eats away at your identity and our personhood. And sometimes it's helpful to be reminded that God just didn't see this guy as just some, it was a certain one that obviously I think God knew who he was, knew his story. And uh, when, when the scripture tells us he was a nobleman, Dr. Frutenbaum points out that this tells us from a Jewish perspective that this was a government official under Herod Antipas. Now we know this because he lived in Capernaum, which was, you know, out of the d jurisdiction down back in the Jerusalem area. But he was under the administration and the government with Herod Antipas. Now, um, uh, this meant he had achieved, you know, a little bit of a powerful position, uh, some status and success. Now, the Orthodox Jews probably wouldn't have been a big fan of him because he was working alongside the Roman government, but he would have been considered a powerful person. But in spite of that, his son was sick. And one of the things that also reminds me of is no matter how much you get in life, no matter how successful, define that however you want, no matter how wealthy you might get, no matter what position of, of power that you may get, that none of us are immune from some of the uh, heartache issues of life. That you know what? Wealthy people have children that, that get very sick. Successful people, poor people, all of us do. And this guy lived the same life in the sense that all of us, I think, can relate that I'm sure his life is full of stress. And when his child was sick near unto death, um, that's a fearful thing. Now, that doesn't tell us exactly how old his child was, but I can tell you now that I have kids that are older than many of you that are in here tonight. Um, it, it doesn't change. You know, we still... I keep trying not to care, but I just keep caring about them. You know, they're 35, 30 years old. And I still care. Um, and there's nothing worse for a parent than when your child is in a position of great need and you feel you can't do anything about it. And probably the, if we took t stories tonight, some of you have been there as a parent. Um, I know inside of our ministry, our families that have lost children, and I cannot think of anything, matter of fact, I don't know, is there, I don't think there's anything in this life that would be more traumatic. And certainly that's not, unless I were to ask someone that I could tell them, I'm not going to share all those things other than let me tell you the folks that I know have been through that and some of the moms that sit among you every single Sunday morning that have lost children in the womb and some of those that have lost children outside of the womb, infants or small children, I have a particular respect because it would be so easy to blame God and be so angry at God. And by the way, every single the ones that have talked with me share that there's certainly a, a process to go through on that, but 
again, as Ravi Zacharias used to say, when you go through these big problems, you can run away from God, but in the name of heaven, where to? And he's right. Where are you going to go? But for folks that have those kind of heartache and yet trust God with it, you know, again, they're the kind of people I look at them, I go, I, I, I should not be the one up here talking. You should be. And this man, we can all, to some degree, identify with the here, here he is, and he's got this big issue. So we go to verse 47. It says, And when he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Now, John tells us the nobleman hears that Jesus is no longer in Jerusalem, but back in the area. Now, the, the interesting thing I thought of me, because I, I thought, now this wasn't Dr. Fruitbaum, this is my weirdness, because I think about these things. You know, I'm thinking, how does this guy know? Is there like the, the Jesus Gazette Times in Capernaum? You know, it was at, at this point in Jesus' ministry, now he was well enough known that the, the Pharisees were already beginning to bring, you know, rejection against him. They, they'd recognized there was this movement. But was, was he nationally known as he would be in the coming months and years? I, no, this is early in his ministry. So how does this guy find out the travel plans of Jesus? Any thoughts on that? I wrestled with that this week. The Bible says, when he heard. Well, I ask myself, how did he hear? Anybody, you got any thoughts on that? No? I know I had longer to think about it than y'all did. Yeah, Bill? This is not one of my trick questions, all right? Sometimes I set you up. Uh, you know, I do that to DT more than you. You could be, but might be a good thought. Passover. Yeah, that's right. Now, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago in our study that, you know, Jesus spent that time in Samaria in the interim dealing with the Samaritan woman there at Jacob's well. And meanwhile, the Jewish people who were taking the long way around home gave him time to get home. Maybe it's very possible he first was introduced to Jesus while he was uh, at Passover uh, just weeks, you know, a week or so earlier. Um, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great insight. Anybody else? Um, yeah, Pastor Danny? That's pretty good. People, people talk, don't they? You know, yeah, or maybe the Roman government was already starting to keep an eye on him and, that, you know, got to the, you know, as a Roman official, it was in the, it was in the morning, and that upstart preacher that we were trying to, you know, we, um, that, I, I'd say that's all, I, that's an interesting insight. I like that one too. Anybody else? No? I, I, you know, I was thinking to myself, um, um, Oh, let me give you an example. You know, maybe you have a favorite Christian singer. Like I saw the other day, uh, did y'all hear that Ann Wilson? Y'all know who Ann Wilson, singer Ann Wilson, you know, My Jesus, I love that song. Um, she's coming to Montgomery. Did you hear that? Did you hear that, Melissa? You know, um, I, pardon me? It's on your anniversary? Is that where you're going to, Jason, I think I got a good thing. Get some tickets for that, you know, for your anniversary. There you go. 
See, she's already told everybody. So if you don't, you bet at this point, <laughs> even as a tuned out man, you have no excuse now, bud. Um, but, you know, now we heard about it. Now, you know, one of the reasons I heard about it is because I kind of pay attention to that. You know, there's a lot of things I don't hear about, but there's some things that I'm more interested in than other. Now, of course, if you're on Facebook, it learns out your algorithms and what you like and tells you. Um, but, you know, I thought to myself, sometimes I think we, we find the things that we're looking for and we're waiting for. This guy's son was sick. Now, we don't know exactly. It just was a 24-hour thing. One day he's healthy, one day he's... It could have been. But it also could have been that this guy, this son was in a long-term illness that was going downhill and this dad had been concerned for a long time and he'd already been thinking about this and said, you know, if this guy ever comes in this area again, I'm looking for him. Uh, so I don't know exactly how, but I know that when our heart is crying out to God, aren't you glad that sometimes or however God does it, he finds a way that we hear that Jesus is coming. He's going to be in the area. Here in, in Prattville, sometimes when new folks will come to visit our church, um, sometimes one of my favorite questions is, how did you hear about us? And, and thank the Lord for the internet, because I don't think anybody would ever find us any other way. Um, and there are sometimes, even we go out on door-to-door, -door, we've done some of that, and we'll talk to people in town, and they'll say, I've lived in Prattville all my life. I did not know there was a church back there. Um, you know, um, or they'll say, isn't that the Assembly of God church? I'm like, oh no, we got right with God. It's an it's a, it's a, it's a upgrade. It's a major upgrade. Um, used to be the Assembly of God Church, if you don't know. Um, but you hear about things, and somehow God made sure, and this guy, I think, was looking, and um, matter of fact, it tells us in verse 47 that he went unto him, unto Jesus, and besought him. Man. You know, when you really want something from God, it's amazing how desperately we'll ask. And it's sad when oftentimes there's not a whole lot of things in our life that we're really all that desperate about. And like Brother Jim, one of our missionaries, shared with us tonight, you know, how God's working in Romania and in Russia and that the souls of people are online, on the line. You know, when, when you care about stuff like that, or when you have a child that gets sick, all of a sudden, boy, you want to really, and this guy, boy, he was willing. Now, it, it's one thing to say that he was begging and beseeching him to come down because his son wanted to heal his son, but Dr. Frutenbaum brings a Jewish perspective to this or maybe a, a top, top, topographical perspective to this. From, from Capernaum to Cana of Galilee is about a 20-mile journey. Now, I don't know in here tonight, there might be a couple of us, Drew and maybe, you know, Emery James, um, uh, maybe Jason Dominguez back there because he works hard every day, he has a real job. Maybe he could do 20 miles, but I don't like the odds on the rest of us in here tonight. <laughs> we, we, we had a hard time getting to the fire station around the corner. Some of us had to stay here in the, in the air conditioning because my wife made me. But um, <laughs> 20 miles. That's a pretty good journey, isn't it? Now, it, it, it gets even more interesting when Dr. Frutenbaum points out that if you look on a topographical map, you'll find that if Capernaum, which is located on the northwest uh, side of the Sea of Galilee, and you'd have to go down an angle, but basically Capernaum's located 600 feet below sea level. Cana of Galilee is 1,500 feet above sea level. That's 2,100 feet. Now, if you, that's like hiking Mount Chiha, except over a 20-mile 
range. Um, he walked pretty much, well, all uphill. You know, that's why when he says, he besought him that he would come down, I think in this sense it's a very literal one. Now, as you're going to find out as we go through life of Messiah, and one of the things that some of our old timers know, when it comes to going to Jerusalem, from the Jewish perspective, you never go down to Jerusalem. You always go up to Jerusalem regardless of the topography. And whenever you leave Jerusalem, you're always going down from Jerusalem. But that only applied for that, for the city. They understood geography like we do. But bottom line is, you know, 20-mile walk uphill. And it made me think and challenge myself to think, what would I be willing to do to get Jesus to make a difference in someone's life? It's real easy for us to sit there and beg Jesus from the comfort of our home. This guy didn't just beg and say, I'm just going to talk about it and pick up the phone and call Jesus on long distance or better yet to hope Jesus had a voicemail and say, hey, I, my, Jesus, my, now, you know, my son's right now, Jesus could heal however he wanted to do, but it, it, it amazes me. And we even had this happen the night before church, right? Uh, ben, Ben was in there. I think Ben was in there when we were listening. Maybe not. Maybe you weren't the one in there. Um, some of the guys in the office. <laughs> it's amazing to me how people cannot find our church physically, but they can find us in the phone book. You know, and, and they can pick up the phone and they can dial, oh, I really need help. Oh, I really need help. Oh, I really need help. And you know, they seem to, they can find their way to get to this place and that place and that place. But, you know, as far as I know, our address is right there in, the, in that same internet or in that same place. And, you know, um, if you really wanted something really bad, you know, but it, we just take the easy way out and say, well, I'm just going to pick up the phone. You know, we get so many of those. You hate to say you get hard to, but I, I do. Because it's cheap. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, but th- this guy, he didn't just say, I'm, uh, he walked 20 miles uphill and then he started his begging. You know, what are we willing to do to, to see God answer a prayer that's really important to us? You know, the old saying, talk is just cheap sometimes. Now, I love the, the, the response here in verse 48. Uh, then Jesus said unto him, except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. Now here again, it's interesting um, in, in the response to Jesus. Well, matter of fact, let me ask you. What do you find unique or maybe I can put it odd in the way that Jesus responds to this nobleman? Can anybody see a, a, a conflict or a, con, a seemingly conflict contrast in the way Jesus answers? I know, that's why Dr. Frutenbaum is the smart guy. Yes, Mike? Oh, he, he probably was Jewish, more than likely. But that, yes. Yep, okay, you're right. Um, how many people are asking Jesus a question? One. How does Jesus respond? Except ye plural. Isn't that interesting? This is again why I like the King James and I like Old English because it, you know the plural or the singular, it's not a mystery. And if you just said, except you see the signs in, in our modern vernacular, you'd have no idea if he was talking just specifically to the one guy or is he speaking to a wider group. And 
the old English has it right where it says, except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. So one guy's asking asks him a question or is begging him, you know, say, would you come do this? And Jesus responds in the plural. Now, that brings the question, what, what in the world is he doing? Well, personally, or this is what Dr. Frutenbaum, he brings the point that this guy was a governmental leader, a Jewish guy that had some, you know, some sway and all that, but he probably wasn't the only one around when, when this guy came begging Jesus out there in the street somewhere. There probably was a other crowd, and, and Jesus is challenging the, the, the nation as a, as a whole. And remember, at this point in his ministry, which you're going to learn even more as we move forward here, but right now, pretty much every miracle Jesus does right now is done for one reason, right? It's done to show that he is the Messiah, that he's fulfilling all the Old Testament things, and then even going beyond, in my humble opinion, as a, as a mark of grace, he's even fulfilling rabbinic requirements of what the Messiah was going to do. So at this point in his ministry, where he's out there preaching, I'm the Messiah, the, the kingdom is at hand, now this guy comes and he wants, he wants uh, healing. And Jesus is referring to the, to, you know, not only just him, but he speaks to a wider issue and says, listen, y'all, if I can put it into Southern, y'all aren't going to believe this unless y'all see signs and wonders. And part of that is a mild rebuke that, you know, the, the prophecy in the Old Testament is clear about who he was. I believe he's also challenging this guy, what is it that you really want? What is it you're asking me to prove? This is why in verse 49, I think the nobleman says unto him, the nobleman saith unto him, Sir, term of respect, come down ere my child die. Jesus is talking about signs and wonders and which has messianic overtones. I think this guy comes back to Jesus with the right response. Basically, I think he's saying, I don't know about all that stuff. I just don't want my son to die. I'm not asking you to prove anything. I just believe you can heal him. Now, I don't know if that's totally, you know, the best or worst answer, but I love how this nobleman is honest with Jesus. This is my issue. I, signs, wonders, all the, I, I don't know. I just know that I, maybe he was at Passover like Bill said. Maybe he saw what he did. Maybe he heard about this is the second miracle here in Cana of Galilee in this area. Maybe he heard about the, the water into wine. Maybe he was at that. We don't know the different reasons. But he was convinced that Jesus could heal him. And he goes back to the issue that is of his heart. And Jesus responds to that. Um, in verse number 50, he says, Jesus says unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. Wow. The man believed his word. Whew. You know, that's the issue with us today. Do we believe his word? This guy did. He, he, he believed that Jesus could heal his son. Now, notice... Jesus doesn't say in there, you know, give me 15 minutes to wrap this up and I'll be right down there and we'll go right down to Capernaum with you. He does not do everything the man asks him to do. The man says, I want you to come, you know, with me. Now, obviously the, the, the man was satisfied that Jesus could do this without going to the nobleman's house. I, let me be honest. Most of us, myself included, when I'm convinced of how I know Jesus needs to solve my problem, 
the process he needs to go through to get to my solution. You need to hear my cry. You need to respond to it. You need to come with me, go back to my house, pray over, touch my son, whatever it is, and heal him. <laughs> Jesus' process was a little different than his. If it had been me, and Jesus says, go thy way, thy son liveth, I might have said, but, 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 you didn't, apparently, Jesus, you didn't hear the first part of my request. I, I do believe you, but I'd feel a little bit better if you'd just go with me down. It's downhill from here. Matter of fact, maybe we can get a coaster or something and just coast on down the hill to Capernaum, but I'd feel a lot better if you'd go with me back to the house. Isn't that how most of us feel when it comes to how God works? Not only do we want what we want from God, but we want God to do it the way we want God to do it. And sometimes God has a different vantage point than we do. And this guy, to his credit, his faith, he just, Jesus says, hey, your, your son liveth. And this guy believes him and went on his way. Done deal. Wow. You know, even when it comes to our eternal salvation, which is a simple free gift as Jesus just demonstrated with a woman at the well, and he offers us the living water, if we'll just simply take a drink, you know, we just receive that cup and take a drink, you know. We receive the gift, that's, that's, all we, that's it. There's, there's no, you don't fix your life, don't go change everything, just receive what I'm offering you by, by simple faith. You know, I got saved as a young child and then grew, as I got in my teenage years, I, I had some doubts and struggle, that kind of stuff. And what really got my attention is when, when a pastor that came and preached at our church um, basically said this, you know, this basic premise of his message was, you know, don't you believe God? If God says, if you believe in me, I'm going to wash away all your sins and give you heaven and give you eternal life by simple faith. And every day you're telling him, I'm not sure it's legit. Why? What? Do you, do you think God's lying to you? He, the, the, this guy, Jesus says, thy son liveth. This guy goes, Okay, works for me. It's not the way I had it planned out to do, but that's how you say it. That's how it is. And there's been many times in my life and my spiritual journey in different areas of my life from like financial giving, um, learning that sometimes when you have the least is when you should give the most. When God says to do it and he presses on your heart, say immediately in that person, you just do it and you walk away. And you don't worry. You say, well, then all of a sudden, oh, man, I gave that money away, and then I had, some, I had this bill that came up. Well, I guess that's God's problem now, isn't it? This guy just had a lot of faith, and what, what, a, what a hero he is. Well, verse 51, it goes on, and it says, and he was going down. His servants met with him and, and said, um, and told him, saying, thy son liveth. So here's the, here's the guy. Now he's going downhill to Capernaum. He meets his servants that are running up the hill. Now, I, again, I ask strange questions when I study this stuff. I think about this stuff, and I put it in my mind, and I'm thinking of these servants, you know, running uphill. And the first thought I had as I considered this is I thought, why are they even coming to get this guy? Now, we know the son got healed, right, that very hour. I understand that obvious one. One reason they may have been coming is they, they wanted to tell the guy the son was okay, Right? But is that the only reason that they might be going up to, I mean, I thought to myself, he'll find out eventually. They knew he was there. I thought to myself, would I, 
I don't know. I don't know if I'd do that or not. Maybe I would. But would I run uphill 20 miles? I don't know. Um, can you think of any other reason they, they might be running up that hill to come see their master, to find him? Okay, the change was immediate. Okay. Yeah, Pastor Danny? Oh, good. This is good. Oh, the opposite way. Matt says one thing and Pastor Danny says the other. Oh, do we have anybody in the center section like to get the right answer? Okay, what, what do you think, Pastor Danny? Ah, uh, I saw both of those. You know, I see his, and I thought both of those things too. Pastor Danny said, you know, remember, we are reading the story and understanding the cause and effect. Now, these people, I assume they knew, this is an assumption, they knew that the, their master left to go find Jesus and, and they knew why. But did they have any knowledge that, he, that their boss had even found Jesus? I mean, I don't think they had cell, I don't think they got a text. Yes. No, go ahead. He did, but the people didn't. I mean, well, they might have known he left, but they had no idea. How did they even know that for sure they heard that Jesus was in Cana of Galilee? You ever heard someone was somewhere and then gone there and they weren't there? It's happened to me before. Especially if the husband's driving, you know, he ain't going to ask for directions as soon as he gets lost. Yes. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Not to him it wasn't. No, but I, I wonder for those family members, one day this kid is sick and almost dying, the next day he's better. Now, maybe some of them said, oh, it must be Jesus. Maybe some of them said that. I, I don't know, but I, I think about it and from the time that they were living in where they didn't have texting and cell phones and all this, maybe they're thinking, you know, our boss is out there chasing around this ghost, this supposedly miracle worker, and the son's better now. Why do we need to, you know? And, he, and if, we, if, if, if he's up there and spends three weeks looking for Jesus up there and comes back and finds out that he got better and we didn't tell him, they might get pay cuts, just saying. But it could be, as Matt said, the positive way. It could be that, you know, um, it could be that they've said, oh, we're so excited we want to tell them. They could, it could be either one. But I, I find it fascinating that they, either way, that these guys, they, they must have been great servants. They start the 10-mile hike if they met halfway up, you know, on the hill, a uh, 10-mile round thing. Now, notice the end of the story. One last interesting thing, and it will be done tonight. It says, then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend, and they said unto him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was the same hour in which Jesus said unto him, thy son liveth, and himself believed in his whole house. This is, again, the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judea into Galilee. So uh, here we are. You know, I think this kind of plays into what we've just talked about. The servants are coming up there, and, and they're not saying, hey, Jesus healed him. They're, they're saying uh, just he's healed. And then the, the, the nobleman says, what time did that happen? And they said unto him yesterday at the seventh hour, which 
Dr. Furtenbaum brings up, if that's Roman time, that's 7 p.m. If it's Jewish hour, it would be 1 p.m., depending on, you know, I don't know <laughs> why that makes a big difference, but he mentions it. I'll throw it out there to you. But I would say, I love how the Bible gives precise information. It's not afraid. Yes, Robert? Okay, you're ahead of me. Give me a minute, but I give you points for Robert. That's good. I was about to ask another who notices what's out of place in the verse question that you guys failed on in the first one. I was going to give you a chance to redeem yourself, and you did, even before I asked it. So you helped everybody out. Now I feel good about our church again. Um, I do love how the Bible gives precise information, though. You know, people talk about what's the Bible different between the Bible and the Koran or this one. Oh, it, it, yeah. I'm I, sorry. I, the, 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 just from a total literary standpoint, the, 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 to compare the two is offensive. And I don't mean that just because I'm a Christian. Just from an intellectual standpoint, the, 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 the time-tested and the, the detail, the times, the dates, the places, the names that the Bible's willing to give. The Bible's willing to even show most of its greatest heroes the Bible reveals some of their greatest flaws and sins. Other books don't do that, that are made by man. But that's another one. I just love that. At any rate, one more interesting thing that I was going to mention that Robert caught very good is notice in their response that they said unto him when, they, when, the, when the nobleman says, hey, what time does this happen? They said, yesterday at the seventh hour. Yesterday. Dr. Frutenbaum was the one that pointed this out. I didn't see this actually. He didn't. I was in his book. But he brought up the point, and I thought this was really fascinating. Now, this means, if you put it, especially if the seventh hour was the Roman time at 7 p.m., which, since he was a Roman government official, maybe that's the time he was on, he had just walked 20 miles uphill. The guy hears from Jesus, thy son liveth, and he goes and checks into a Hampton Inn and says, I'll walk home tomorrow. Pretty cool, huh? I mean, I thought to myself, what would I, I think I might just hightail at home, but you know, if I'd walk 20 miles uphill, trust me, unless there was a monorail or something, I'm not going home that night. But that guy had such faith that he just spent the night, got a good night's sleep on him, and then started to walk home the next day and his family meets him. You know, I don't know if that was the seventh hour that they, after this, they said the sun's better, let's say by 10 o'clock they're convinced the sun is all good and so it's late at night, so, but we got to go. So maybe they left home by midnight. They packed up all their stuff to do there, which is a dangerous thing at most places to walk at night. Maybe they waited in that early next morning. I don't know, but yesterday, I thought to myself, I wonder how the guy slept if he went to the Hampton Inn. I wonder how he slept. Yeah, maybe it was the first night of sleep that he, great night of sleep he'd had in months and months because he knew that his kid's life was in the hand of the Lord. That's good. And I know it's better when we get to read that, you know, that when God's will is to do the healing. But I admire this man's faith. It's also interesting in here, and I'll be done, is... In verse 53, the father knew that it was the same hour thy son liveth, and he himself believed in his whole house. One of the things Dr. Frutenbaum discusses in his commentary on in the life of Messiah on this is the fact that, that it tells us earlier that 
when Jesus said, thy son liveth, that the man believed. Now it tells us again that he believed. Now, is this a redundancy or is it a different thing? Dr. Frutenbaum's perspective would be that this is how he takes it. There, there's some differing opinions on this one, but I think I tend to agree with him. The, the first time, I think this man believed that Jesus could heal him without understanding or even believing totally who Jesus was. He just believed from maybe what he saw at Passover or whatever, he just believed this guy could do it. And maybe again, maybe he was at the wedding. I don't know. Remember, this is pre-unpardonable sin. So Jesus does miracles most of the time before the unpardonable sin. He does miracles not based on anybody's faith, but simply to, to declare that and demonstrate he's the Messiah. And that's what he answers when he says you, you need these signs and wonders. You know, he even brings up that whole issue. But then when it happens exactly and he, and, and he eliminates the possibility that his son just happened to coincide to get better at the same time, doesn't that show a little measure of skepticism? Because he's checking out, well, what time did that happen? He's verifying it. I don't, you know what? God's verifiable. <laughs> I love that. That's a good line by me. It's not in my notes, but it's pretty good. Um, he verifies, he says, you know, this was him. Now, I don't know if he heard the rest of Jesus' sermon. I don't know if Peter or James or John got to this guy while he was up there visiting, you know, meeting Jesus. I don't know. But Dr. Frutenbaum says I, he thinks that the first time the man just believed Jesus could heal and Jesus did to demonstrate he was the Messiah. And then this time when he figures it all out, at this point now he himself believes in his whole house that Jesus is who he claims to be, that he is the Messiah. And it goes on to say his whole house. Isn't it great when the whole house gets saved? Now, there are some people that teach this verse to teach universalism or family universalism. I don't know, is there Pastor Daniel, he had to leave. Um, there's, a, there's a theological term for this, and I don't know what it is, and Pastor Danny's smarter than me, he, he would know. Um, but can anybody else think of another time in Scripture where a guy came to faith in Jesus and then his whole house did? The Philippian jailer. That's really good. Mike Waits, that's, that's really good. Acts 16, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Acts 16, 31, when the jail was all shaken and the, the jailer thought he was going to lose his life because all the prisoners were going to escape. And Paul says, no, they're all still there. And the guy looks at him and says, what should I do to be saved? And again, I love this where the theological brains of our time say this verse is insufficient. Um, the guy asked Paul, what do I have to do to be saved? doesn't tell him you got to change your way, you got to repent from all of your sins, you got to do this, you got to get back. No, he, what does he say? Believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Boom. Mic drop. It's all, it's pretty, John three sixteen right there. And then he says, and thy house. It's interesting if you read in Acts 16, that story, the next several verses, matter of fact, I'll read it to you as we close tonight. And they spake unto him, this is Acts 16 of the Philippian jailer, and they spake unto him the word of the Lord and all that were in his house. Verse 33. And he took in the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his. Verse 34. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and they rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. Now, I don't think this is at all teaching that these people automatically got a free pass to heaven because their husband did. It's the power of the influence of dad, of the leader. 
And Jesus, like Don was saying, he knows. He looks down. He can see what's going to happen. And these folks, when dad came home and said, you are not going to believe what happened at work today. Of course, they probably felt the earthquake there in Philippi, you know, <sighs> that shook the jailhouse. Say, you are not going to believe I was a dead man, but God. And God's representatives, here's the apostle Paul, told me about the Lord Jesus, believe on him. And, and the whole house had this revival. And that's why here at Open Door, you know, I, I, from, I mentioned this Sunday, I think. Um, from the time I got here, I remember telling Brother Matt and the, the men on the public committee, if you bring me here, I want to go after, first and foremost, men. And it means we're going to run some of them off because most men, and you hear me preach this, I'm going to preach it again because it's true. Most men are cowards. They're cowards. They won't face issues in their life. They won't take responsibility. They won't take leadership. And when guys like me challenge them, they get mad or they leave and they get offended. And I just told the public committee, I want you to be okay with that. Because the men that will stay, that will say, hey, I'll be accountable to another man in my life. That when I'm not being the husband I ought to be, that a man that cares enough about me will come alongside me and say, hey, <laughs> hey, Ken, you should wise up. That I'm okay with that. That I want God's best, that I'm willing to be accountable. And it's been a great blessing, really. It's been a great blessing. Because the reality is, and studies show, that when a man leads his house, and he leads a wife with love, she will follow. And so will the kids. So I hope if you're a leader of a house tonight, you know, love God, lead, and I believe you'll see God do a work in your family. Amen? Amen. Well, thank you for tuning in tonight. Thank you for listening. Appreciate all you folks that are tuning in online. Glad to have you. And uh, interesting stuff tonight. Great discussion. Appreciate it. We'll pick things up here next Wednesday night, Lord willing. Hopefully, uh, be my preference that we have uh, an assembly in heaven. But if not, we'll meet here, okay? Um, but I'm going to close in prayer. And uh, Jen, do we have any announcements, anything for this weekend? Uh, I can't think of Pastor Danny's out of here. So, yes, you got your nothing, Jenny? I don't think so. Rebecca, you think of it? Yes, Savannah. Okay. Okay. We are starting a financial peace class this coming Monday at 6 o'clock. If you have interest in that, you can sign up online or you can talk to Savannah and we'll, we'll get you signed up for that. That's going to be a great blessing, 6 o'clock. All right, let me pray and we'll be dismissed. Lord, it's been good to be here tonight. Thank you for your love for each of us, your knowledge of each of us. God, help us to um, be people of faith. Um, thank you that you hear us. And God, I pray for all those who are going through issues tonight, that have issues of great uh, fear and stress. Um, and they recognize and realize and rest in your word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thanks for being here. God bless you. you don't See have to later. be a member of the church. Just come on out here and have a wonderful meal and a time of fellowship with our resident chef's will, uh, owner and purveyor, I guess purveyor, of Grumpy Dog, as well as our resident chef, Russ. So be here for that if you're age 50 or older. And then also, typically every single month, they have what's known as the Diamond Excursion. And so just like the word excursion means, they excursion some places to go have a great time of fellowship.
in great events. They went to Fort Toulouse, they went to a pioneer village, they went to museums and things of that nature. And so it's always a great time. And so if you're age 50 or older and you're looking for a group just to have some great camaraderie, great fellowship and a great time with, come visit us at Open Door Baptist Church and we'll get you connected 